Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a fun show for you tonight. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about. We're yeah. Gonna, we're going to get right into it. The uh, whatever the hell they call it, town hall meeting was tonight. Some Jersey news. Of course, you know, they're 0-2-1 this month, so everyone's about to hurl themselves off the Comcast Tower. We're going to get into all of it. Let me do the intros quickly. First and foremost, my broadcast partner in crime, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Well, William, whatever happens this season is going to happen this season. We're playing on borrowed time, and this is... I mean, it was a lost season to begin with. So if they win, they lose, whatever. Life is meaningless. They shouldn't even be making it to the playoffs. Eat at Arby's, thanks. I'm here for Zen Steph Driver. I mean, it's just like this, they're playing on, on with house money right yeah. now. Like they, they, They're not quite talented enough to win the cup yet. So if they make the playoffs, cool. If they don't, fine. Like It's sports. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So Patrice Bergeron has now missed eight games this season, and it sounds like he's going to miss a fair amount more. Yet, still, today, in his uh, his ESPN.com column, uh, Greg Wyshynski still has Patrice Bergeron as the number one person to win the Selkie. And I'd argue that Sean Couturier has not only outperformed Patrice Bergeron by all of the numbers, all of them. He's not only done that, it's also the fact... That okay. I'm sorry, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, it's also the fact that uh, there's a good chance that Bergeron by the end of the year is going to miss like 15 games. And I think that there's. I, I tweeted about this earlier today. It, it feels like people are just kind of ignoring that, like playing in 10 to 15 to 20 more games than another guy should immediately put you ahead of the other guy, unless the other guy is like five times better than you. Because that's value that can't be can't be ignored that he played more games. It's not Bert Bergeron's fault that he got hurt. Like, does Wyshynski, does he say, yeah, I just think he's the best and he deserves it? Or is it, this is how voting's going to go because people don't actually, like, take the time to look into it. They're just like, oh, Bergeron, yeah, Selkie, done. Well, he basically said, like, well, he might lose this if he's hurt. But he is hurt. Okay. So I don't know, like, right. like look, the guy, the guy said he was going to be reevaluated in two weeks. He's got a broken foot. 
And Boston's a lock for the playoffs. They're not going to rush him back. He's going to miss more time. Mm. So assume that he's going to miss that time. Already, he's missed eight games. Already, Couturier should be ahead of him just because Couturier hasn't missed a game and has been on Bergeron's level all year, whereas Bergeron has missed the game, so he can't possibly have provided the same value that Couturier has because Couturier hasn't missed a game, and they're around the same in terms of performance. The fly by yourself, Kelly Hankel. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I just want to set the record straight very quickly. <laughs> Ready for this. Those black Reebok jerseys are not good. Thank you. And good night. The the numbers are an abomination. The orange nameplate is hideous. The, you know the shirts though, like the sh- the shirt sees. They're they're actually good. <laughs> the jerseys are fine. I mean, I, I'm assuming there's there. going to be some editing done to this jersey because it was a Reebok jersey. And now it has to be an Adidas jersey. We're gonna get waffle. Uh, that's a fair shoulders. point. We're gonna get waffle shoulders like mm. the other jerseys. So so perhaps they will correct. The egregious errors that were made by Reebok when they designed this jersey, but as it stands, me, person who in, is in desperate want of a black jersey, is not happy with the maybe development. Yeah, maybe, maybe they'll shrink the number a little bit because the arm it's numbers not, are just so yeah, they're big. gigantic. Well, it, because they do that supposedly to make it easier to see oh, at the at, at yeah. the arena. But I was at that game and they were not easy to see. No, and and I don't I don't like the black on black on the back. You were also in an NFL press box, which is four and a half miles away from the other. <laughs> well, you were there too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. could you see the numbers really well? I couldn't see anything all that well. There, okay, well, you were probably 10 years deep <laughs> at that blurry. point. <laughs> a little blurry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about now, like I like I let off the show with, the Flyers this month, 0-2-1. Hysteria in the streets. Absolute panic it's like arkham was blown up and all the crazies is were that allowed true out. though because yeah. i was like looking for it i was looking for it sunday and there was nothing like people are just like exhausted by this team that's what i kept hearing that it's like i think they, this... they couldn't find the energy to even be mad because... well it's sunday you know uh <laughs> well so going back going back to last monday when we were on this sh- when we were doing this show uh the flyers end up winning one nothing in a shootout but of course that means they were shut out for 65 minutes by montreal uh mm-hmm. then they lose four to one to carolina on thursday actually scored six but lost in a shootout to tampa then score one in a loss to the panthers on sunday Oh, two and one. Uh, like I said, this month. Reason I'm still optimistic. They went oh four and one. Uh, Twelve twenty two through one uh, through January first. Their, their usual Christmas yeah. swoon. <laughs> so they they had a little winless streak. And remember the good stretch when they were twenty six eight and three. December fourth through. I can't say the, the the month, so I'm going to say the second month of the year. <laughs> the 26th of the second month of the year. Uh, they were on that awesome 26-8-3 run, which included an 0-4-1 December 22nd through January 1st, and an 0-3-1 from uh, January 25th through February 3rd. Uh, that's nine of their 11 losses over that really strong run in two bunches. This is a streaky team, and when they lose, they just tend to lose bunches. Uh, They're still up a point on Pittsburgh, five points on Jersey, eight points on Columbus, nine points on Florida, ten points on Carolina. That's why I'm still optimistic. They're on a little bit of a slide right now, but every time I've said, hey, they're on a little bit of a slide right now, they've come out of it okay. 
Reason to be more negative than the record may indicate, however, because I'm willing to recognize people are, uh, I don't know if this team is as good as we thought it was. I can see it. I can see it building, and there are reasons. Columbus, the shootout loss, Florida, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Tampa again, Washington, New Jersey, accounted for nine of those losses uh, during that uh, stretch where they lost 11 games out of like 35 or whatever the hell it was. Um so those are all teams in or fighting for the playoffs. Higher caliber teams. They There's a thing out there that maybe they kind of just beat up on the weaker teams. And uh, the playoff teams, the fighting for playoff position teams, they lost a lot of those games too. Add in the three losses to Carolina, Florida, and Tampa this week. Again, fighting for or in the playoffs. Uh, their lack of depth seems to be showing, especially with Simmons out. Uh, shows against the good teams when you can just go your high-end talent. That first and second line, your first deep pair against, you know, teams that are worse than the Flyers, you can just beat the shit out of them because you have an awesome first two lines and a really good first D pair. Um, The third line now not scoring so well, and then you look at uh, Hal Gill, a.k.a. Johnny Oduyev, stepping in for McDonald. Wow, he's even worse than Brandon Manning. Uh, There are reasons to be concerned, so I want to lead. I lay all this out to show you my side. I'm still optimistic, but I realize why there's a reason not to be. I want to judge everyone else's level of concern. Let me hear it. Steph, start it off. Um, I'm the most apathetic out of everyone here, so that's probably like, not the greatest idea. Ease into it, folks. So they're still fighting for first place in the Metro. So even if they suck, which like I'm still kind of convinced they do, it doesn't matter because the rest of the Metro doesn't really have a superstar. So if you look at um, Micah's point projections... Every other every other division has teams that are, are well above projected to be well above a hundred points. The, the whoever ends up in number one for the Metro will probably be around one hundred points, and everybody is super close together, which means there's no real bottom dwellers in the Metro. But there's also no real superstar powerhouse of a team. Um, so that being said, like like I I started the show with. The fact that they're even making the playoffs is enough for me to say that this season was a success for the development of the kids. Did I want to see more kids here when they did that? Yes, of course. But they're taking the right steps. You know, shit happens. Like injuries are going to happen. Dave Haxtell runs his goalies into the ground. Like this is possibly the third that he's doing that to this season. Um, we'll get into that. Okay, good. Um, it, it's it is what it is. Uh, they're they're a mediocre team that they're an average team. I won't say mediocre, but you know, same word. Um, that overachieved in February, and I think they're just coming back down to earth a little bit. Charlie, let me hear your side. Uh, I have so- to split up the women because if they go back to back, everyone will just think they're one person. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I guess to to start it off, am I my level of worry is not that high in terms of are they going to make the playoffs? Like I'm not expecting a total collapse to the point where they're not going to make the playoffs just because I look at the numbers, I look at the models and I see everyone still has them over 90% to make the playoffs. Like it would take a real collapse. I do think that the next 2 weeks could get a little hairy because they're playing against a lot of really good teams. The the way their schedule is set up, it's kind of stacked where the next 2 weeks are where they have the real tough part and then the last 3 weeks 
it's not as hard. They have some tough games, but it's not as hard. So they could they could lose four or five games in this next six seven game run and scare the shit out of everyone. Oh, God, I can't. I honestly, not that I want it to happen, but mm. doing the post games over that stretch will be absolute <laughs> mayhem. But <laughs> yeah, so long as they as they don't totally collapse, and and to be honest, I have enough trust in the leadership on this team that I don't think they will. As long as they don't totally collapse internally during that stretch, I think they will win enough games in the back half of this schedule to kind of cruise into the playoffs. However, and this is kind of the flip side of that, the reason why I'm not worried is because I never looked at this team. I think there was a group of people in February that kind of decided like, well, we're leading the Metro, so we might actually be really good. And for them, this run is going to, I think, hurt them more because it's going to basically turn that turn that idea into, oh, yeah, we're not that good. For me, I always viewed this team as a bubble team from a true talent standpoint. I view them as a bubble team. So them kind of regressing back to playing like a bubble team doesn't worry me much because I think that's their true talent level. It's not concerning to me that they're just playing. Now they're back to playing the way in my mind they should be playing based on the team that they have. But if you thought that they were really good and you during that three week period where it seemed like they couldn't lose a game and even the games they lost, they were picking up points. Yeah, this would scare you because now you're you're, you're kind of thinking, I thought this team might have a, a, you know, might be a dark horse cup contender and now they don't look like that. But to me, that's not, you know, that, yeah, I guess that's a worry, but it's more that you're now being recalibrated to accurately evaluating what this team actually is. And as one of those people who thought that they, that maybe thought that they were better than they are, I will speak for, I guess I'll just speak for myself here in that I didn't think that, oh, they're dark horse cup contender. Look how good they are. It was that looking at their holes, but also recognizing, Oh man, like Torier, career yeah, which year, is fair. Giroux, career year, Voracek, awesome bounce back year, uh, Ghost, career year. I'm looking at all this happening and thinking, you know what? No one else is that much better than them. It wasn't so much that the Flyers were so good. It's just that looking at the East outside of Tampa, eh, who's that much better than them? You look at Boston, Boston's great, but they went on a stretch like much like the Flyers yeah. did. They didn't lose for like a month. And they still had basically the same record. No, I mean, I, I still think Toronto is a better true talent team than Boston, even mm-hmm. though Boston, like, they were on that ridiculous run. I looked at Boston as a team that I thought was overplaying their true talent. I think Toronto okay. has been a team that's underplaying their true talent. And if they figure it out by the end of the year, they could give Tampa a run for their money. But I think but I think all three of those teams are better than the Flyers. And okay. in addition, I think the Penguins are better than the Flyers. Okay. Hinkle. Kelly. Hello. So, <clears throat> like the other two, Stephanie, who is not me, and Charles... <laughs> Um, my level of worry for this season is non-existent. We are, in fact, playing with house money. This team is performing better than I think anyone, anyone, and I'm going to say that again, thought that they were going to. Um, <laughs> but if we want to talk about like a macro level, organizationally, I'm, I have a bit of worry because, and I hate to be this guy always, but I don't think Dave Hexall is a good coach and he's still making decisions that hurt the team on a night-by-night basis. And the reason that we're in the place that we are right now is that we have a bunch of guys playing lights out this season, better than we expected them to, better than anyone expected them to. And they're playing at such a high level that I think expecting them to be able to sustain that over the course of several seasons is probably not realistic. Also, I think that a number of teams in the Metro have underperformed for the season. I don't think that we expected... Pittsburgh to be where they are right now. I don't think that we expected Columbus to be where they are right now. So 
if you take away guys like Couturier and Giroux playing lights out and you take away the fact that other teams in our division are underperforming, then you kind of get closer to where we were last year than where we are this year. And so I think that this kind of everyone on this team that we need to overperform is overperforming. All of our divisional rivals are underperforming. It's kind of like a perfect storm as far as us getting into the playoffs this year. But it's not always going to be like that. And so once you have production kind of evening out as far as the top line goes and you have the other teams getting better and playing more up to their true talent level and then you have Dave Haxtell making the kinds of personnel decisions that he continues to make, I think it's a problem. So this season, not really worried. Overall, generally, about the state of the team, I, I still have a bit of and apprehension. That's, that's something I'm with you on in that while this awesome return to form season for Claude Giroux... Uh, it's amazing. Great. But... However, uh, looking forward, like, okay, yeah, hopefully, every, like, as we bring players up and guys mature, you can kind of replace that production. Because to think, like, yeah, it's great that he's going to have the best season of his career, at least for all points total, at the year he turns 30. But to think he does that at 31, 32, 33 is yeah. overly optimistic. It'd be cool. Yeah, it would no, be cool. Would, sure hey, would. I'm here happens, for it. But if it happens, that's amazing. But planning for it going forward, and that's kind of why I didn't I didn't say, hey, they're going to win the cup. This is who they are. Awesome. But like I was putting my eggs in the basket of no one else is that good. This is a year you can win a round or two and have a good, fun uh, right. postseason because uh, – is it gonna? Is is this gonna happen again? Like as much as I love what Sean Couturier is doing, is he a thirty goal scorer? You know, not I yet. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> like well, next year. No, you're right, Kelly. Not yet. Still twenty nine. Still twenty nine. But like, is he gonna be this point of game guy who's gonna get the thirty goals? Like, I don't know if he's that good. He might be way better than we ever thought, but I don't know if he's as good as he is right now. And if we're having all these guys having these awesome years, of course, you know, Nolan Patrick is probably gonna have more than like yeah. the thirty yeah. points he's gonna yeah. end up with this season. And you know, Travis Neckney's gonna have a full year of top line production, and we're gonna eventually bring up guys like Frost and guys like Sanheim and well, all these one guys. would hope maybe well, at yeah. some point or another yeah. they'll be up I mean you know we'll McDonald's, see McDonald's not gonna live forever <laughs> well uh, okay okay he's not Bob Dylan like he's gonna <laughs> die sometime. he might be a vampire though one point I will make here and this is kind of in response to the hack stall with regards to the lights out play by the key guys so last season, we on this very show made multiple arguments to this effect in that one of the reasons why the big guns weren't playing well last year, and I don't think this was an incorrect argument, I think we were in the right, I still hold to this, is that Hackstall's system was holding them back. That they were playing a very conservative take point shots and hope for deflections and rebounds type of system, and that was not serving guys like Drew and guys like Vorjek. It may actually kind of help Couturier. I think Couturier at this point can pretty much play in any season. But those like Drew, Voracek, guys like that, Ghost, it really wasn't necessarily fitting with what was going to make them, to get the most out of them. So if we criticized Haxel last year for not getting the most out of his best players, I feel like the flip side of that is when those when those really good players play well, he deserves some credit for getting the most out of them. No, I mean, and I agree with that. And I think that and that's what's super frustrating to me when we get into like discussions kind of like with Flyers fans. You can give him credit for doing good things. He's done a number of them this season. That top line, one of them, very clearly. But also, you know, 
a one goal game last minute of the game, I'm looking at Yuri Laterra. Oh, Why is God. this happening? It's, I'll this tell you, the same like, there are certain, over like, he, he does good things for sure. Mm-hmm. But then he also does many, many bad things. I guess my point, though, is that, and I, I'm not, I'm not arguing with with you on the fact that that the late game stuff can be mind blowing at times. But you basically what you said earlier was that well, what happens if when those when those uh, those key players don't have ridiculously good years? And well, as a stat person, I'm certainly going to say that like regression happens and career years happen, like. Maybe he's figured out how to get the most out of these guys. And, uh, yeah. and maybe and they don't drop off that much. I was willing to. I make, would very much like to be wrong about the idea that that will drop off. I was yeah. willing to make the excuse last year that, you know, if you want to play an aggressive style, that means you have Giroux, your best player, and Gostas Bear, your best, m- most, not your most dynamic defenseman at 100%. And after a month of the fir- of the season last year, you went. Oh wow, yeah, these guys can't skate, so um, we're gonna have to do something different. And that different thing was we're gonna be boring as shit <laughs> <laughs> because they couldn't get back. Right. Like, yeah. and it was such an aberration because you look at the first year. Why did they make the playoffs? Because Gostas Bear turned into Bobby Orr. Right. He came up, yeah. played sixty yeah. games, and he looked like Bobby Orr. And, and he's scoring more this year, by the way, than he did his rookie year. I know, well, <laughs> not goals, not but goals, points. but yeah. the points. Yeah, uh, no, he looks. He's he's back to being him. It's incredible, and he's doing. He's better. He's better than he was as a rookie because he did look bad in the defensive zone as a rookie, but we didn't care because he scored a game-winning goal in overtime once a week. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't give a shit if he was minus yesterday. He scored the winner. Like, who cares? But uh, I want to get to this Sandheim stuff now because it's something that really reared its head. And there are arguments of, oh, you know, he's not going to come up and play third pair minutes and you don't want him scratch and all this stuff. But we talk about the – we often talk about the offensive deployment and – I want to talk about the defensive deployment, and especially Brandon Manning, in the Carolina game. I want to go back to this Carolina game. You know I'm a bigger Dave Haxtell apologist than most. But when you're chasing your fourth line and Brandon Manning against their best scoring line for the entire game, and you're getting shit on by 38-year-old Justin Williams, what is the coach doing here? Brandon Manning led the team in ice time. He played 21 minutes again against Florida. Two of the last three games, he played 20 minutes, 21 minutes or more. What happened in the middle game? He played 15, and oh, you went toe to toe and almost beat the best team in the East. <laughs> so, so we're gonna get away from that and play him 21. Oh, we lost inferior teams both times. Yeah. <laughs> How so just, is this possible? To dive into that Carolina game a little bit, and maybe this is something you can speak to, Charlie. This is one of the things that frustrates me a lot about Dave Haxtell. Like, he was very clearly desperate to get that fourth line out against the stall line. It didn't work at all at any point during the game. And yet he kept doing it. And I don't understand if it's like, I don't know if it's like a stubbornness thing. Like, he's decided that this is the matchup that he wants and he's going to do it no matter what happens. Is it an inability to adjust? in? Like, I just don't understand why... One period in, when this is very clearly not working, why we don't make a change. So I I do think that it like to start out that wasn't a decision that I liked. I didn't think it was the right matchup, but I there there were some reasons why I guess it theoretically could have worked. Really, what it boils down to and what drives these decisions is that Haxel thinks guys like Philpola and Laterra. Particular, particularly Philpola, and Philpola is better than Laterra and Weiss, but like yeah. he thinks Philpola is better than he actually is. Yeah. He thinks Laterra is a lot better than he actually is, apparently. Um, 
those guys get these matchups because they're trusted by the coach. However, it's fair to say that even though the stall lines, that was the line they were matched up, it was, it was uh, stall and it was Williams and then it was some other dude who's nothing. Like, that was their first line on the game sheet, but their their top line is really Aho and Teravainen. That's their, that, that's their dangerous line. Yeah. So, Giroux was against them, primarily. Philpola was against Stahl. And then Patrick's line was against the bottom six. And I think what the thought process was from Hackstall was that I trust that Philpola, yeah, they're probably going to get killed territorially. And they're probably going to suck even if, he, if, if he even cares about Corsi. They're probably going to get killed by Corsi. But I think they can stop the, that, that stall line from scoring a goal. And if they can do that, Patrick's line should be able to feast on Carolina's bottom six. Now, that didn't happen. Patrick's line had the puck in the offensive zone a lot. They never scored. So the, the gamble didn't work. But I think what it boils down to is that he looks at the Philpola line as this, like, defensive line that, like, yeah, they don't do a lot, but you don't do a lot against them either. I think he's wrong, but I think that's his thought process. And his, his view was that if I can if I can get them to eat minutes against Stahl, Patrick Voracek and Limblom can destroy the bottom six, which didn't happen. But you can understand why he would think it would, because that line has been playing very well. I just look at that as letting the opposing coach set your lineup then because if I'm looking at it and thinking, all right, well, they're going to let – okay, the first lines are going to even each other out. So that means I'm not going to use them as much. And guess what? Now Katori and Giroux aren't on the ice all that much. Okay, they want to match up their fourth line with our second line. Well – Guess what's going to happen? They're going to have three points apiece. And that's exactly what happened. And then you look at that third line, and then you look at what should be the Flyers' second line, and you go, oh, well, they, yeah, they dominated territorially, but weren't on the ice nearly enough because they kept using the line you were putting out yeah. against your shitty line. So Nolan Patrick, Jake, Jake Voracek, your second highest paid player, Nolan Patrick, the second overall pick, and Limblom, the guy we're looking to see, like really break out and make a name for himself, and he's been really good since he's been here. Oh yeah, they're just not. They're going to get third line minutes, and our our real third line, the Lawton line. Yeah, they're going to get like eleven minutes. To, to me, the it's more just the, letting them set your lineup. Yeah, to me, the more egregious thing, and you mentioned Matt. this in your is is the matting. Like yeah. like the third pair should not have been used like the second or first pair in that game, and that's <laughs> what buries under, you. What am I missing? Under no circumstances should that that pairing get any ice time with like double minutes like what am i no, missing no. double digits what am i missing about this good as manning pairing i get i don't i like i know like literally nothing i will recognize like all right while mcdonald ha- haig have their flaws like i get what a coach would like about them i can't for the life of me understand <laughs> yeah. this infatuation with brandon manning to play him 21 minutes two out of three games I, and then you look at it, and it's like, well, you know, uh, what, Sandheim is a. Di- it was it brought it got brought up tonight at the town hall, Steph. It was just that Sandheim's a different kind of player, and that he didn't fit what we're doing right now. But he's yeah. a big part of the future. Fucking how rules. is how I, is this? How is having Gudis and Manning together a good fit? In what world is this a good fit? And this is what I I truly don't understand. And and this I mean goes to Hextall. Like if you're looking at this. And you've decided that Brandon Manning fits a role. It's the wrong one. I told you last week. Like, fucking TJ Brennan could probably fit that role and not screw up as much as Brandon Manning does. Like, you could do better than that. And if you don't want to have, like, a good defenseman who might score some goals, because that's, like, a problem for you for some reason, like... Maybe we can do better than Brandon Manning in the crappy defenseman role. Oh, no, 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 no. Brandon Manning is a veteran. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Brandon, I just, Ma- Brandon Manning is a veteran that brings his veteran presence. What was the the last game against Florida? Uh, was that last night, Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday, uh, they yeah. went they went really heavy again. Back to the yeah, let's just do point shots. If this is such a big part of your offense, where it's like yeah, we're going to produce a lot of offense from the point. How doesn't Travis Sanheim fit that mold? How is that what you're not trying to... Isn't that exactly what he does? Like, isn't that the thing he's good at? Well, the problem is, is that Brandon Manning makes mistakes on a regular basis, but you know what type of mistakes he's going to make. (laughs) Same thing with Andrew McDonald. You know what type of mistakes they're going to make. With Travis Sanheim, he's the unknown entity they don't know what type of mistakes he's going to make they also don't know that he's he might not make the mistakes that they're bracing for they just don't know and and i mean we've seen it for the past three years dave haxtall and ron haxtall are very risk averse more dave haxtall than ron haxtall but still the both of them so if they don't know exactly what they're going to get out of a guy they're not gonna they're not gonna bring him up they're not gonna play him yeah i think there's something to be said about coaches and they you know, this is not just Haxall. This is pretty much every coach. There's something to be said about coaches wanting predictable players in the back half of their lineup. I don't think that's the right mentality for a coach to have, but I think this is the mentality that basically every coach has. And I think Steph nailed it with like Manning is in a lot of ways predictable. Like his mistakes, like when he when he pinches and it causes a two on one, like it doesn't shock me. He does that once a game. It's but but Steph's right in that like Sanheim, he'll have three games where he's on the ice for a goal against, and every game it's a different mistake. Like it's a, it would be a different, you know, he either he he had, he had the wrong leverage on a guy in front and a goal was scored, or the he, Robert Hayes, he, 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 like he didn't he didn't recognize a switch. Hayes, Hayes, okay I, know, I know, I know, I um, know. Uh, or like he didn't recognize a switch, and because of that, one guy was left open on the other side and he scores. Like those were the mistakes that Sanheim was making. Now my argument will will always be that he's going to learn from those mistakes better in the NHL and the AHL, but. Yep. I believe that Haxall's view is that I can't build my system around a guy who I don't know what he's going to mess up. Really what it boils down to is that we'd still be angry about Sanheim, but we wouldn't be this angry if he wasn't utterly killing it in the AHL. And run Mm. me through some of these numbers you wrote down here, Charlie, because they're fun. Yeah, so (laughs) he's played 18 games with the Phantoms. He has 16 points in 18 games. Oh, he fell below a point. He's a defenseman, and he's got almost Mm, a point per game. Um, That's okay. He'll get two goals next time. It'll be fine. There we go. (laughs) Um, So Brad Keffer for for BSH tracks tracks Corsi and and, and a couple other advanced stats. So the the Phantoms, not the Flyers, not on the Flyers, uh, the Phantoms. Hockey team, the Phantoms. (laughs) They have uh, they have driven play nine almost nine percentage points better with Sanheim on the ice versus when he's been on the bench. Seems good. It's pretty good. It's it's actually pretty incredible. Um, And then the big problem with with Sanheim this year in the NHL was that like his goal results didn't match his his shot results because his shot and chance results were both great. It was just the Flyers were giving up a lot of goals and he was in the ice. Well, in the AHL, it's not happening. The the Phantoms have outscored the opposition eighteen to seven with him on the ice, which is a goals four percentage of 72 percent which is kind of insane oh, so that's a huge percentage it's, it's pretty high and the phantoms insane. the phantoms for basically sandheim's whole tenure have been on their fifth string goaltender like who's even <laughs> yeah. in that for them it's muse muse right muse? I, was, it's muse. I, have, yeah. I have no I like idea the, who their goalie is i like i like their music i like john muse's music yeah <laughs> it's not bad 
They're it on inspired right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it just it, it gets frustrating because you see him put up these numbers in the AHL. You know that he put up good underlying numbers in the NHL, and you start to wonder, like, okay, what what brings what gets him up? Like he's clearly too good for the AHL. What brings him up? And this is where I want to talk through Hextall's quote at the uh, the trade deadline pre- press conference because this was about as illuminating of a quote I think as you're going to get to Hextall's viewpoint of how he treats AHL players in terms of when they get recalled. So the the question had basically asked him about Limblom was talking about will Limblom stay up when when Simmons is back. He goes, I feel like we got better right now with Oscar. Whether that continues or not, we'll see. It's a lot sometimes at this level for a young player, but he's done a good job. We've got a couple other guys down there who are knocking on the door. If we get the wrong injuries or whatever happens, we've got the opportunity to call young players up, and sometimes they make you better. So I want to highlight the key part of this, which is if we get the wrong injuries, we've got the opportunity to call young players up. At this point, I think we just have to accept that Ron Hextall, aside from like the rare instance of like, okay, I need Tyrell Goldborn to wake up the players, <laughs> or we're on a 10-game losing streak, sure, let's see if Danik Martell can score a couple goals for us. Like, He's not going to call up guys in the AHL, regardless of how well they're playing, until someone gets injured. And that's that is I a love. big problem. I love, uh, first of all, if that is how you feel, like, all right, you know, the guys who are here are the guys who are, and he has the same thing about the kids until, yeah. you know, the coach just wouldn't play Sandheim, so he had to send them down. If you make the team, you make the team. Uh, we don't do the ten game, tri- the nine game tryout thing. I'm fine with that if that's just your, if that's just the way you do it. But then you see the exceptions they've made, like Donique Martel. Okay, we'll give him a shot because he's shooting like 35. percent That's why he had 17 goals. And we in the can't first- buy a win. Yeah, and we just can't score. We can't buy a win. He had like 17 goals in the first 30 games or whatever the hell it was. We'll we'll give it a shot. And then you see Tyrell Goldborn get the call, and it's like, okay, I'm happy they replaced Laterra. And me personally, you know. I called for it. I believe I made it happen. There's a feather in your cap, uh, yeah. though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was half kidding, but, you know, a lot of people take my joke seriously sometimes. Um, to see the exceptions they've made. Martell, as great of a season as he has, and it looks like he might even have a role in the NHL one day, uh, not a highly touted prospect of any kind. Tyrell Goldborn, I mean... He was in the ECHL last year, as Steph likes to point out. <laughs> that was a thing that I yelled how, at you frequently. How is, how is it that these are the exceptions they're willing to make, but the guys with the actual, we we like picked these guys from a group of thousands of players. We pinpointed these guys as the ones who will help our team one day. Yeah, no, we're not bringing them up. This is a, like, how is this the decision-making process? It's... It's like stubborn on a level that I can't wrap my brain around and I don't understand why. It, like, it's, yeah, it, it, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. It's it's just like hoping for injury. Like you don't want it, you don't ever want to be in a yeah. position as a fan, as um, That's a good point. someone who covers yeah. the team or even management. You don't ever want to be in the position where you're hoping for one of your guys to get injured just so you can see a younger guy play. You don't ever want to be in that position, but that's what's happening. And not only that, like I can't even root for an injury to Yuri Laterra because that's not going to bring me an Oscar Lindblom. I have to root for an injury to Wayne Simmons because we've decided that Oscar Lindblom can't come up unless he's going to play top six six minutes. So it's like, but I, I just don't understand what you gain by you have a a pool of players that you've selected. You've put this pool together. They're 
on different levels, but these are your players. These are the pieces that you get to pick from. This is your organization. Like you can make your team better just by moving one piece over here and one piece over here. Like it doesn't mean you were wrong about something. It doesn't mean you made a bad choice about something. It doesn't. It, I, I just don't understand the thought process that gets you to, well, if Oscar Lindblom didn't make the team out of training camp, then he's not on the team unless someone gets hurt. Like yeah. that's very stupid. But it's just that's the that's <laughs> yeah. it seems like that's just the philosophy. And right, like, I, I, I guess kind of where I'm at is like I'm done getting angry about it. You've be- accepted be- because like I don't agree with it, but. They seem fairly consistent about yeah. it. So it's like, well, I guess this is just Hextall. And his view is just that, like, look, Travis Sanheim can literally be the best defenseman in the AHL. And there's a legitimate case to be made that since he got sent down there, he has been the best defenseman in the AHL. And it doesn't matter. Imagine that. It's so stupid. Like, I just, but, I, that, it's but that's what they know, do. It's so, it makes me so mad. It's, it's, it's so absolutely stupid. infuriating. I have, I have. It is really, as a person who has given this organization more <laughs> rope than anyone else, like they're hanging themselves with it. Yep. Yeah. Like to come out tonight at the town hall meeting and well, be like, we'll, get into well that Manning, a bit later. And Manning and Manning well, and, well, I just want to talk about the Sandheim stuff. Okay. Well, Manning and McDonald are just different types of players. Yes. We Man- know. That's Sandheim, what we're Sandheim is the good type of player. <laughs> right. And Manning is the not as good type like, of player. Exactly. That's why we want Travis Sandheim yeah. because he's good. Yeah. Yeah, he does because he's well. a different type of player. He has both offensive and defensive abilities, and that's what we and want. Like that's, to me, like no matter what anyone wants to say about role on defense, the thing that matters most about playing defense in the NHL in 2018 is breaking the puck out and yeah. chipping the puck off the glass is not how you break the puck out. It's called that's how you punt. That's okay. We're gonna change and uh, give them the puck back and hopefully we can get back on the ice. And didn't work against uh, Florida because they just went for breakaways every time. Uh, like I just don't. Uh, it seems that Sandheim would be exactly what they need. It's not. I just. I, it blows my mind. In the end, it, it this all comes back to Manning. Like yep. it, it always does yeah. because like. I'm. I can accept the idea of roles. Like I can accept that you know. Okay. Well, you you need your defensive defenseman and whatnot. But you have them. Like your defense. Brandon Manning is not the defensive defenseman on this team. The defensive no. defensemen on this team are Robert Haig, Andrew McDonald to a degree, and Radko Gudis. Brandon Manning is like the puck mover on that third pairing, except he's not that good at puck moving. And you have a guy who's killing it in the AHL who actually is a good puck mover who could play the role that you're currently using Brandon Manning in a lot better than Brandon Manning can do. And, like, I'm not going to, like, be too too mean to Brandon Manning. Like, I think he's an NHL player. But Travis Sanheim is better. Like, he just is. And, and, and again, this just comes down to the fact that, like, I don't think I don't think the Flyers are stupid. Like I don't think they I don't think they disagree what? that Travis Sanheim is not better or well, certainly does not have a higher upside than Brandon Manning. But the way they look at it is Sanheim didn't win basically didn't win the job over Brandon Manning in, in January and Man and and no one's gotten hurt and we're winning in general. We know we like our the way our mix is working, and yes, Travis Sanheim has done literally everything he can possibly do in the AHL to justify a call up. But we're not going to do it because everyone's healthy. Like, but well, also, sorry, no, go ahead. The thing is, though, he did win a spot over Brandon Manning out of camp. That's he fair. just didn't get it. 
That's Which fair. is another, to take it all the way back, super frustrating. Absolutely. Remember, remember the first week of the season when they were going back and forth and we were having this same discussion, yeah. except Sanheim was here. That was the only That's, difference, is Sanheim yeah. wasn't just but the night. But, but, oh, but then, then people got hurt, and then yeah. they both got to stay in the yeah. lineup. And I think, like... You know, at some point there was maybe like deep in the in, in the recesses of Hexall's mind, there was like this hope that well, maybe like there will always be someone injured, so we're, <laughs> we're, so we're never going to actually have to deal with this problem. Close for I a just, while I there. think I think back two years and I wonder. Uh, I said, you know, uh, Hackstall's first year. The reason I think there are two main reasons they got to the uh, they got to the playoffs that year is Braden Shen became a point of game player. Yeah, he had a great second January, half. Yeah. and Shane Gossespierre just willed it into just willed it <laughs> yeah. into existence. If it's Luke Shen instead of Mark Streit who gets hurt in November, we never see. Probably they don't not. make the playoffs. That's a totally fair. They point. don't make yeah. the playoffs because Ghost doesn't come up. Yeah. And that's the difference between Hackstall. Yeah. Like Hackstall doesn't make the playoffs in his first two years, and well, he made it that one year, and he had the sophomore slump, and they're right back in it this year. So eh, maybe yeah, like that's a like, that's the difference. Is it was Strite and not Luke Shen? Thank you, Mark Strite, for sacrificing <laughs> yeah, your penis for. <laughs> but 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 seriously, you do Us. wonder like how long would it would he have would it, he have not gotten called up until Delzato got hurt in February? Like probably if he dominated that entire year, would he have ever earned the call up? Or would it just been, well, you didn't have a great camp, so you just got to stay down there because being the AHL isn't going to hurt you. And we like our mix, so here you go. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just the philosophy. The one thing I will say about Sanheim, and this was was good. I was very happy to hear this, even though the, the proposed trade wasn't ridiculous. I felt a lot better about the way the organization feels about Travis Sanheim when you heard you got that report that Ottawa had asked for Sanheim and I believe it was the St. Louis pick for Mike Hoffman and the Flyers turned it down. That's yeah. not that that's not an unfair offer for, right. for a guy who's for a guy like Hoffman who is a goal scorer. There aren't a lot of them in the league and also is under contract for multiple years after this one. That's not a ridiculous offer. The fact that Hextall turned that down and turned that down apparently very quickly, that that eases my concerns that they're not that and high when on we talk, when we talk about we think there's a disconnect between the coach and the GM I'm confident there's a disconnect. I know that the GM is still confident in Travis Sanheim. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. why he took a month to send him down. Like, he was sitting there watching, like, all right, coach. Like, you, you saw that can, game, can, right? Like, can you fucking <laughs> You're do gonna put something. Him, and how many times do we come in, like, all right, yeah, on Saturday, Brandon Manning was terrible. Sanheim's getting back in the lineup, and he just never and did. And he just nope. never did. And then this, finally, the GM relented and was like, well, this is a waste of everyone's so, time. we're now in a place where the Flyers have off for two days. They play on Wednesday against the Penguins. Mm. AMAC is injured. Oduya is injured. And Manning is still playing like shit. Do we see somebody else, or do you think one of them is going to be okay to I play? I got to go to play it against sports, get some equipment. I mean... I, if if they can't play, I do think they recall Sanheim. But, yeah. in, but in the end, I bet that one or that one of them... My guess is AMAC will That's play. That's my guess. I, I assume Oduya. he will play. Johnny Oduya, on that first goal, I don't even... I, I don't even care what he did. Is that the one he, where he was facing in the wrong direction? He could have scored a hat trick. like uh, Immediately after yeah, Immediately after that. And I'm going to call him Hal Gill for the rest of my <laughs> Yeah. He moved, his his moving from forward, like trying to turn around, he looked like he Pavel He could Kabina. not do it. It looked yeah. exactly like yeah, that, Hal Gill. It was, it, was, it, was, it was like the worst first impression it ever. Was, yeah. it, Hal Gill in that Less playoff game. Hal Gill in that playoff game 
against the Rangers when they played him against when they played him over Gustafson. That's exactly what it looked oh, like. God. Yeah, so was, you, ha- uh, you had to bring that up again. Uh, Gus Bus. All right, so I want to <laughs> talk about I want to talk about Ivan Proverall for a second. Let's do and, that. Uh, and I want to I want to start this with the question of is he struggling because I don't even know if he's struggling or Charlie will make his but uh, he played twenty six forty five against Florida uh, he's played over sixteen hundred minutes already this year which is seventh most in the league uh, twenty four nineteen a game is his average which is nineteenth in the league if you want like nineteenth Ryan Suter is at twenty six fifty so between him and eighteen guys there's Two and a half minutes. Uh, is he struggling right now? And do you believe it's because of fatigue? If so, well, I, I have an answer, but I'm more than willing to give the floor to everyone else to answer first. I wasn't listening. I got no worries about Ivan Provorov. I have no worries Uh-oh. about him long term. I just want to know if you think he's struggling right at this very moment, and if so, do you think it's because maybe they play him too much because the other two pairs are useless? I don't think struggling is the right word. Um, he might be a bit tired uh yeah i don't even know i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not worried about him i actually addressed this in one of the post games i think it was the tampa bay post game on saturday um and we've talked about it on this show before like he's a guy in his second year that finally for the first time in his nhl career has a partner he can rely on Mm -hmm. so if he's going to make the mistakes if he's going to to make the risky play and it fails like now is the time to do it again they're playing with house money like now is the time to do it get it all out of your system figure it out and and do better next time yeah and also i think that mistakes with provorov are glaring because they are so few and far between we've gotten to like at this point in the season last year, we're looking at Provorov and Ghost going, all right, if Ghost is just that really good second pair puck mover, we have that Drew Doughty-esque first guy in uh, in Provorov, and now you're looking at both of them and going, oh shit, Ghost might actually be a first pair defenseman. <laughs> they have two, yeah, they have two yeah. first pair defensemen. Is Provorov a little, not, is he not as good as we thought? And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, sophomore slump is a cliche because, you know, cliches come from somewhere. And even if it, even if it's not a slump, it's a perception of a slump, much like Ghost last year. Was he really slumping? No. Or was it a perception of a slump? Is that where we are now at Provorov? Charlie, use your brain. <laughs> well, so do your go, brain go ahead, stuff. Well, I think the emergence of Ghost as a legitimate first pairing defenseman is making everybody look at Provorov a little bit differently because last year who'd we have? Yeah. Just Provorov. Just yeah. Provorov. I think Gudis and then, played well. And yeah, and Gudis looked like, oh, right. Nice, and Gudis, got, okay. Gudis does not look yeah. good this season. So yeah. so last year all we had was Provorov mm-hmm. and he was a rookie and Ghost was getting scratched. Like last year that was all we had. The emergence of Shane Gossespierre as a legitimate first pairing defenseman I, I think might be casting just a little bit of a damper on Provorov, but it shouldn't. Provorov, two more goals than Shane Gossespierre. Ooh. Yeah, I think, and I'll say that this has been a topic of conversation in the press box and the press room in Voorhees for a while. Like, there, a lot of the writers have basically brought, is Provorov struggling? One of the prevailing theories I've heard said a lot of times is people think he overtrained in the offseason with his crazy regimen that's that, what I and then that he know. might need to pull back. I mean, this is all just people just throwing shit at yeah. the wall. This isn't, like, coming from sources. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. just theories like that. To me... I don't think he's struggling that much. Like, I think he's making some mistakes. Absolutely. And and he's making mistakes that more often than not seem to be turning into high quality scoring chances and um and goals closing against. Perfect example being in the Tampa game, 
They uh, he had that one like kind of lazy pass in the middle of the slot that ended up turning into a Dan Girardi point shot. Like on one hand, yeah, the pass sucked and it wasn't ideal. On the other hand, it ended with a Dan Girardi slap yeah, shot like, going in the net. When like, we talk we, about like, luck, that's yeah, what we're talking. Like about. we wouldn't we wouldn't remember that <laughs> yeah. if Dan yeah. freaking Girardi didn't score. 10 seconds later, that's where the luck element falls into play. <laughs> did I see something like that was his first goal against the Flyers in his career? Yes. Yeah, they did yeah. say that on the broadcast. And he's he was in the Flyers division for yeah. 10 years. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the Rangers, yeah. astounding. That is ridiculous. But I think in all honesty, and this always happens, not just and I'm not just talking Flyers related. I'm talking, you know, Eagles, Phillies, Sixers, everything. There reaches a stage with a young player where the you know the first year he's awesome it's all the positives everybody loves you know what he's brought to the table because we've never had a guy like this before this is great and then like year 2 or year 3 there gets to be that stage where you realize like you've seen enough of him to realize that oh he's actually not perfect and there are some flaws in his game and then we start nitpicking and then it becomes the game of, well, why isn't he as good as we convinced ourselves we, he was the first year? Are you telling me the Carson Wentz hot takes this season are going to be unbearable? Oh, oh, dude, <laughs> come, coming, coming after an ACL uh, surgery? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, yeah. it's, it's going to be nitpick city on, on Carson. I mean, look at what happened to Cole Hamels the year after they won the World Series. So it's not like there's any there's any period of like, well, we won a championship, so now we're not going to criticize anyway. No, Philly fans are sports fans. We're going to criticize people when we don't think they're playing that well people were tearing apart Carson Wentz's proposal picture <laughs> because is his knee bent at 90 degrees is that a 90 degree bend is he wearing a brace like this is it's going to be insufferable oh I was looking at that picture I was one of the people looking at that picture like get off that knee bro oh, oh my geez. god oh my what are you Lord. lifting her up for oh, a fully oh grown human god. adult but, but I really think what it boils down to the pro right now is that he's not perfect he's making some mistakes they're going in the back and then a little bit more than they did last year when it seemed like you know it seemed like every time every time there was a goal scored when pro was on the ice last year everybody's just blaming on McDonald's fucking McDonald's <laughs> it's like he could have literally like he could have forgot which way he was going and centered the puck Provorov right into the slot and everyone go that's McDonald <laughs> why is it McDonald in why, front of the net why is Andrew McDonald there <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is interesting too the the uh, little thing you want to discuss about uh, Dave Hackstall Charlie uh, if he deserves credit for this penalty differential because the Broad Street bullies um have been pretty disciplined this year. They've really got their shit together. And they've been pretty disciplined the entire time under Dave Haxtell. And, you know, that's that's a thing. That's when your penalty kill is this bad, the only way, <laughs> the only way to negate the 28th or whatever the hell it is now ranked penalty kill is to not, not take, take penalties. Because if you yeah. take penalties, the other team is going to score. But yeah, I put this on here mostly because I don't I, I don't know the answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's an interesting thing to debate because I don't think there is a clear-cut answer here, but I will give you the numbers. So the Flyers is your third in the NHL in penalty differential at plus 35, which is ridiculous. Since January 1st, they are first at plus 21. Last year, even when everything else with the team is a dumpster fire, they were plus 30. Year one, they were plus 23. The three years prior to Haxel joining the Flyers, they were minus 62, which was the fifth worst in the NHL over that three-year span. So the question I pose is, how much of this is, how much of this can we credit to Haxel? Because one criticism that he gets a lot is that he's milquetoast. You know, he, does, he doesn't show emotion, that he doesn't call, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of his team, he doesn't call timeouts, he doesn't throw the lavy timeout thing. But, you know, is it possible that his... 
is constant, you know, even keel. Does that help from a discipline standpoint? Does that make it easier for him to to instill discipline in a team? I don't know, but the numbers imply that there might be something here. Because in a, in a game, I'll, I'll let you go in a second, Steph. I'm Jesus, in you're a just game, talking over me all night. In a game like Florida's, where it's like they just can't get anything going. You look at Hackstall and go, oh, it's this boring-ass coach. It's this whole team. They're just not inspired. But then when you take a step back and look at the full season, and they're the second-place team in the Metropolitan Division, and they don't take penalties, maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's not the worst. Go ahead, Steph. I'm sorry. I, I think that it is, like, at some point, yes. To an extent, Hackstall does have something to do with this. However... <laughs> However, let's look at how the league has changed in the last three years. So the Flyers no longer employ Zach Ronaldo. Fair point. The Flyers no longer employ Jay Rosehill, where they did three, four years ago. So fighting is down, um, hits are down, and Zach Ronaldo being a complete psychopath on the ice doesn't exist for the Flyers anymore. Um so I think that that also makes a difference. Just the way that the game is played, where there are there are no more staged fights. There were not not necessarily at the beginning of Hack's tenure, like that we're talking probably five years ago, but it existed. Yeah. Um, and I think that that makes a difference if we're looking long term over the past six years. The the way that the league has shifted is definitely responsible for this. Now. The entire league has shifted. So if we're looking at all of the NHL year over year, then then, then you've got to take a bigger look at that. And that's what you did. Um, but I think the difference between the previous three years and these past three years is the way that the league has changed. But I will give Dave Haxtell credit for at least making the team... It, it, accountability, I guess. Like there, there's got to be some kind of accountability for the players to some extent. I don't know whether it's that he just <laughs> doesn't have an emotion, like he gets shot up with Botox before <laughs> the game every single night. Um, but I, I don't know if that's it. But he has done something to instill some type of accountability and discipline. And I mean, over the last three years, this roster has gotten progressively more skilled. That's and true. When you yeah, that's very a, true. When you have a more skilled team, you don't need to take those ticky-tack hooking and slashing calls that, you know, you have to take because you can't catch a guy or whatever. So I think it's a, I, I think it's fair to give Haxtell some credit for and, that. But I also think it's kind of a larger, just kind of a shift, like Steph was saying, in the makeup of this team. I look at the top three players in... Drew, uh, Voracek, and Couturier, all low PIM guys. Yeah. Um, I look at the loss, and I was interested in this year as compared to the last three. It was like loss of a guy like uh, Braden Shen, who was a high PIM guy. Still oh, Luke in the, Shen too, yeah, actually. Yeah, still that, in the yeah. yeah that 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 was a point I was going to make yeah. is that like I know we we criticize the defense and rightfully so. The the back half of the defense is not that good, but even though the, they have defensemen who aren't all that special, they at least can skate now. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Nicholas Grossman couldn't skate. Mm-hmm. Luke Mazzaro's? Shen was not that good of a skater. Andre Mazzaro's post-injury was not a good oh, skater. Right. Like, they had guys who really had no choice but to take penalties. Like, now, like, yes, Andrew McDonald and Brandon Manning are not special defensemen, but they both are decent skaters. They don't have to take as many of those, like, mm-hmm. oh, God, I'm going to get burned, I need to pull this guy down penalties. 
So or, that's or, probably or try him. to s- smash him through the board. Which well, is yeah. that. Somebody <laughs> at some point after you, giving Luke. up after giving up three breakaways already, somebody at some point needed to just tackle someone. Yeah, like, yeah. probably that right. Shit really pissed me off yesterday, but I digress. Uh, I want to talk about that Florida game for one reason, real quick. I, I we'll need, get. Yeah. We have five minutes. We started at thirty-five. Okay. I just want to ask this question because right, you know this is the one thing I'm willing to criticize Hackstall about uh, nonstop. Ready. If they don't trust Alex Lyon mm. to play in the second game of back-to-backs after Morozik surrendered six goals in a shootout loss, why is Alex Lyon even in the organization? That is an excellent question, William. If you don't because trust him in that scenario. Because there's nobody else. There's nobody else. I know, but like... Why is he here at all? That's the thing. Like, how is he even a goaltender that... sign him? Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> they weren't expecting Anthony Stolarz to step out of his car. Uh, was he Was he going to Chipotle or was that just something I added in? I think uh, I think someone added Wawa to the equation. Okay. But, all right. So we, yeah. we, know, we know that he... <laughs> he was trying to kick in the door to free Carson Wentz from the stuck bathroom he was in. We know, in we know that he, he was getting out of his car and re-injured the knee that had just gotten surgery. Yeah. Like, that was... Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that wasn't something that was anticipated? Like I know, Alex you th- Lyon came in to be Anthony Stolarz's backup. Like that's what he was going to be the backup in the AHL. He okay. was never supposed to be the starter in the NHL. No, which is why Mrazik is here and Dave Hackstall does not trust goalies. Like doesn't trust them. That's the problem. I, absolutely. Like that's the Dave Hackstall. This all comes full circle. Dave Hackstall and goalies is he does not know what he's doing. He do, like it's so it's it, that is which, one of his biggest problems. Which leads me to the second part of this question. The man who runs the organization has won a Vezina and a Con Smythe and, in a, and was an all-star playing this position that the coach clearly doesn't know what to do. How doesn't he at some point just go to the coach and go, hey bro, haven't we seen this story before? Haven't you done this with every goalie I've ever given you? Especially right now. Morozik's like- gonna go on IR probably by the end of next week. Oh, Be- don't say that. It's gonna happen! Oh. It happens every time! They do have two days off. Like, I, look, yeah, I, but I, then a back to back. Yeah, and he's going to play both nights of the back to back. Look, I would have started lying on Sunday, partially. Yes. And in all honesty, the reason why I would have started lying on Sunday had little to do with the back to back because had, the game didn't matter. It, it had prime most to do to the fact that Morazic was bad the night before. Yes. and it's like, all right, maybe I give this guy because I'm certainly going to want to use my best goalie against both Pittsburgh and Boston. Yeah. So if I don't play him against Florida, like that's my last chance to give him a rest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to do it. Like I, I'm not expecting Mirage to get hurt. This just seemed like the logical time to throw it was line a, into a, a game. No, an absolute no-brainer. It's not against a divisional rival. It's a game that if you win, no. great. If you lose, all right. But like, we're coming up against Pittsburgh and Boston. If Mirage and Winnipeg, like yeah. these are yeah. If Mirage, yeah, you're, it's not just back to backs. It's a three and four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and, if Morozik had maybe had a low workload against Tampa, like if it was some, that was other an exhausting game. I know that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. He takes goals. He, he played sixty-five minutes plus this, plus a shootout and was bad. Yeah, like, like thirteen <laughs> hours before the next I'm, start. I'm like, willing. Like I, that one was bad. The uh, the Carolina and the the shoot the breakaway was the breakaway nonsense against Florida. I'm willing to throw out, but he wasn't good against Tampa. And Tampa's the highest scoring team in the league by a high margin. But he, if he was some semblance of good in that game, they win. I just like how how does he make these decisions? How does he make this decision? The goalie thing really pisses you off, Bill. It's because I hate them all. Because it, this is this is the easiest thing to control. Yeah, that's the thing. It's frustrating because it's so 
patently obvious the, to everyone yeah. looking at this. The run of goaltenders that Hackstall has been given, right. talent-wise, is the best run of goaltenders I've basically had in my lifetime with this organization. Just p- pure talent. I hate no, him all. He's not, he's not wrong. Oh, Steve Mason, I loved until he just stopped being good. I didn't even have to say any words, and you knew what, what things I was making. I Bill really, was just saying nice things about Steve Mason. I was on board with Steve Mason until was I was done here. with him. He was fine here the first two years. He was very oh good. God. The run of goaltenders that Hackstall has been given on a pure talent level, the best of my lifetime. And he just runs them into the ground to the point that they are useless. Which is kind of extra hilarious, given that we keep being told that they're going to do tandem goaltending here. <laughs> yeah, like that's the funniest yeah, thing. That's two, the funniest tandem lie. is just running one into the ground and then doing the other one until <laughs> this one's healthy again. And then we, we have, run this one into the ground. You're, and you're we not just wrong. We have two forward. number ones, which is really helpful when one's going to be hurt for half the season. Yeah, right. And the other one is going to come in and get hurt right when we're getting the other one back. It's just this crazy. I just hate it. Uh, we have like a minute, Steph. Run down the stuff you want to talk. I, All right. I'm sorry. So, so the season ticket holder, the season ticket holder meeting was tonight. So a couple things are happening. Uh, Paul Holmgren opens up the entire meeting by mentioning how many Flyers fans there were in Vegas, and he estimates that there were about mm, six thousand yeah, right. of them. So you're welcome, the Flyers, and thank you, fans of Philly. Yeah, you're the best fans. Um, so there are going to be updates to the Wells Fargo Center. Blah blah blah. Most important is the sound system will be completely replaced. Um, there, the Stadium Series game. There will be a brand new jersey for the Stadium Series, and that will be separate from their third jersey next year. Their third jersey next year will be last year's Stadium Series jersey. <laughs> so that one will be worn about fifteen times. There will be four jerseys next year. Um, Paul Holmgren decided they needed a new sound system when they were retiring. Lindros's number. He was on the ice next to Eric Lindros and said he couldn't understand a word that he was saying, and that's when he decided like it needed to happen. It does need to happen. Yeah. Um. I thought that that was a funny little anecdote. So then Chris Pryor, who is the director of player development, yeah. um, he's not the director of Funny Game. Not the no, director yeah, of Funny Game. Definitely not. There's I, only one of those. I knew it was player development something. I just didn't know what the title. I don't was. know the exact title, but that's that's something what he is. Player development. Yeah. Um. So he's he was asked a lot about the prospects. Um. Someone asked specifically about Sandstrom and Hart. How soon will it be till we see them in the AHL? And I mean, he he just, you know, played the neutral game, complimented Hart a lot, and then mentioned the other guy in St. Petersburg, which I don't remember his name. That's Ustamenko. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, the, the Russian. So really? took, the, the Ronaldo pick guy. Yeah. Oh, is that who it is? Yeah. The Ronaldo pick? Yeah. Well, he he mentioned him before he started complimenting Hart. So they really like what he's doing okay. over there. Interesting. Um, would not give a timeline about the goalies. Also, wouldn't give a timeline about Sam Moran's injury, but he should be back relatively soon. Um, Wade Allison, lower body injury. He's progressing well. We'll be ready to start by, we'll be ready to go by the start of the season. Um, He was asked to comment on late round draft picks and to rank them. And he said, he feels like a dad. How can you put one kid in front of the other? (laughs) That's that's cute. It's like that (laughs) resonates with me. Uh, But he says specifically, there's a couple of college kids they're really happy with. So Tanner Lazinski, Wyatt. Kalinick, I think. Sure. Kalinick? Sure. Something like that. I I don't know how to pronounce his name, actually. Uh, Ali Likesill. Cooper Marodi and Isaac Ratcliffe. Were, Ratcliffe's not even a college guy. Right. He he was mentioned after that, but those were the five that were mentioned by name. Neither was like so, self for that matter. 
there was some question about Morgan Frost and I couldn't hear what it was, but this was the most important and interesting tidbit that Chris said. And I think that anybody said all evening. So it was some question about Morgan Frost and Chris Pryor was saying, you know, he's doing really, really well, better than we expected. But if he was sitting next to you right now in the stands, He's physically still a young kid. Like you would think that it's just this little boy sitting next to you, which is and, really holding back Johnny Goudreau. And yeah, fi- right. <laughs> well, physically, it's going to be a really tough jump for him. Um, so then the person that asked the question said something about Nolan Patrick, and just like deadpan, Chris goes, "Nolan Patrick's six two and one ninety. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that was a, it. that's a, yeah. Um, he followed it up by saying, you know, Claude Giroux made it, so there are exceptions to the rule, but they're not going to rush him because he's just not physically ready. Um, and Giroud got there at age 20. Yeah. So he, you know, if, and if spent he follow, half if, if, the year in the AHL. Yeah, if he follows the Giroux timeline, you're talking about him going back to juniors next yeah. year. Frost. All right, guys. Uh, I would love to be able to cover all this. Maybe we'll do something else with the information we put out. Uh, I don't know. With the information we got from I mean, people who were at no, this No, there's nothing else yeah. to do okay. with it. I mean, uh, I missed the whole Dave Haxtall yeah. piece because he spoke. Do we really need to go, Taylor? Do you, can we go like another three minutes? All right, go ahead. All right. <laughs> um, so Dave Haxtall came on and like, I regret to inform you that Dave Haxtall is likable and has a personality. I choose to reject this. It'd be great if he came up and did like a stand-up set. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, the was making, deal with Travis Sanhok. Was making like AMAC jokes and stuff, like <laughs> well. jokes about scratching kids and all the shit we hate on him for. Um, <laughs> I so got a six-year deal, bitches. He he naturally says you've got to give credit to the veteran players because they set the tone. Oh boy! But <laughs> but when he mentioned the veteran players, he specifically mentioned Claude Giroux okay. and that he had an off year last year, and the level of conditioning, the mentality, and the work that he put in over the summer was evident from day one. So it's no surprise to him that he's having this type of season. So it's nice to hear the coach say, "Yeah, last year was an off year for Claude Giroux because that's what." we've all been saying um he also said the young players they were ready to begin helping and you're seeing them continue to grow um and then he kept talking about how the depth of the team is better so he addressed the inconsistencies says the holes aren't quite as deep as they were last year and that's where the depth comes in which is realistic yeah um so he someone asked about overtime losses saying you know overtime losses have been a problem for the team this year and he said no they're not the overtime losses are not the problem it's the shootouts yeah um so he says they're working on it and the the tools that they're they're working on in practice you're starting to see it during the games as the players put the tools to use um that they, they have they, sorry they did practice shoot the shootout last week at, uh, at Voorhees. I, I was surprised because they've rarely i've rarely seen them do it but yeah they did like a full like isaac, 25 minute segment about it isaac oh, wow. was the first one i saw a tweet about it and then like twitter blew up like do they not do this usually i'm like no no they have like a lot of shit to worry about <laughs> bills like, knocking some, over furniture <laughs> something that probably won't happen they don't right. spend a ton of time it, practicing. I mean, it, it's like a five percent chance so why would you why would you practice yeah. that small ch- whatever so the tools that they're using the players are starting to put them to the tools that they're practicing the players are starting to put them to use during game situations and then obviously in the shootout uh he says they have some young players that they think will be really good now emphasis on really he had some emotion he said really good shootout players but they're not quite ready they but all you grew- see flashes of it during games and i can't think of anybody else that he's talking about other than travis connect limblaw maybe oh maybe Limblom. yeah these are a lot of guys who grew up with the shootout yeah mm-hmm. like 
Um, he talked about Johnny Oduya, said he's a solid defensive defender. Yeah. Solid veteran, excellent first pass, uh, and he assumes offensive. that he'll have PK time. I mean, I he, he had a bad first game. Maybe, yeah. maybe he'll get better. Who knows? Yeah. So somebody asked what Dave Haxtell has learned in his time in the league, and it, I thought that was a really good question, and Dave said a whole lot of nothing for a solid few minutes. <laughs> um other than, you know, well, I've learned the league and I've I've learned the players and the personnel and the ref, the referees and the officials and I form relationships and game planning. So going into games is not something that you can necessarily plan for because shit happens all the time and you've got to be able to adjust, which, well, <laughs> it's very funny hearing from Dave Haxtell because I don't <laughs> think that he does. Um, our job as coaches is to help all of these guys be at their very best, no matter what we see, we've got to know all of the intricacies and everything that's going on for the player. Again, interesting. So this is another piece that I'm reading between the lines of what he's saying. So somebody asked about Lappy and the PK. How are you going to fix it? And he says they need to execute better. That the base. <laughs> no I mean, shit. I mean, wow. This is big if true. <laughs> um, the basics of it are there, where, where one mistake ends up with the puck in the back of the net, and then he goes on and on and on about how Lappy is the most prepared, the most hardworking, the most A B C D guy he's ever met in his life, and it, uh, it, just listening to it. Lappy is his Chris Vandevelde and he is not going anywhere. Like I, I believe wholeheartedly that Dave Hextall has Lappy's back and is telling Hextall, I need this guy because he's hardworking and he doesn't complain. That, would, that would be bad. It, John, yeah. That's somewhat bad, jives but like, with I, I Charlie's believe- uh, theory last year that LaPerriere is kind of good cop. To hack yeah. bad cop, and as you're going to bring up more and more kids, he's going to need that dynamic more than hey, you know what. Let's just not take penalties, and the penalty kill won't matter. Yeah, it'll still I, matter I, though. Yeah, it will it, matter. It, it, matters. it so matters. So that that was really what I came out of this with. So number one, if we're really looking for Morgan Frost to make the jump next year, he he, he like don't put all of your eggs in that basket because of the physicality involved, and he may not be physically mature enough, even though his game is elevated to that point. And I think Lap- Ian Lapierre is is Dave Hackstall's type of guy, and we may be stuck with him the way that we're stuck with the rest of oh, Dave Hackstall's guys. That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio. However, I want to ask you one thing. Do you want to advertise with BSH Radio? You can. You absolutely can. We will read your ad. It doesn't matter what kind of company you run. You yeah, sell. maybe. Ah, nah, no, I don't nah. care. I <laughs> really, doesn't. really don't care. Anything. If you want to pay us, we will put your ad on our show. We will read it live. You're watching us on Facebook Live right now. You're listening on SoundCloud later. Doesn't matter. It'll be on the show. Everyone will hear your advertisement. Steph, what's the email? It is Broad Street Hockey Radio. No spaces, no underscores at gmail.com. That should be really easy for you if you want to advertise Broad with us. BroadStreetHockeyRadio at gmail.com. We can send you all sorts of numbers and charts. Steph has all sorts of data showing that people listen to the show and seem to like it. So if you want to have your uh, your company you know, out in front of a lot, a lot of people, advertise with us. That's all I have for you this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.